Once more, welcome everyone to Woodburn Baptist Church. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor in the Overflow, guys. We love you so much. Thank you for uh, participating in worship uh, in your place, in your way this morning. We love you. Uh, pastor Brian Ahern, all of you at Church on the Square in Prairie, Oklahoma, you are our partners and our brothers and sisters, and we love you with whole hearts. Uh, open your Bibles this morning, everyone, to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 1. As we begin a new preaching series this morning that will take us all the way to Easter. New message series entitled Red Letters. Uh, look at your Bible. If you've already opened the Gospel of Matthew, how many of you have some of your, uh, some of your uh, passages in red letters? Raise your hand. you got a, a red letter edition of the Bible. It turns out, ironically, that a, mine isn't a red letter edition this morning. Um, the title Red Letters comes from that fact that some of you have a red letter edition of the Bible. Uh, a lot of you are used to looking at that because most of the Bibles actually that we pick up these days, <laughs> except apparently mine, uh, will be red letter uh, editions. So you're uh, perhaps inclined to think that it's always been that way, but, but truly the very first red letter Bible wasn't published until 1899. And it's due to the passion of a man named Louis Klopsch. Louis Klops, he was in a, uh, uh, one of the uh, colleagues of D.L. Moody. Uh, uh, Louis Klops was in church one day and he was reading the passage where Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you. And at that moment, Louis Klops thought, my, my goodness, what if we could have that verse in the color of Jesus's blood? What if that verse were in red letters? And then he started thinking, what if we put all of the, all of the words that come out of Jesus's mouth, all the direct quotations of Jesus, what if we put those in red letters? And it became a passion of his, and, and honestly, he got it done. 1899, the very first red letter edition of the Bible was published, and now a lot of our Bibles will indeed have the words of Jesus printed in red, the color of his blood, uh, which was, again, the passion of a man named Louis Klops. Now, when we look at red letters in the Bible, when we look at the words of Jesus, uh, understand, we're not necessarily saying that the words of Jesus are the only ones that have authority. Truly, all of Scripture comes to us from God. It's God-breathed. It's all inspired, the Word of God. And, and so it's not that we're raising up Jesus' words above the others. However, however, Louis Klops would say that it was important in his day and important in our day for people to pay special attention to the words that came out of Jesus' own mouth, to pay attention to the way that he defined his ministry, to pay attention to the words he used to reveal to us the Father. Because truly, according to Jesus himself, all of Scripture points to him. All of Scripture points to Jesus. And so when we read all of Scripture, we want to interpret it, we want to apply it, we want Scripture to help us be better followers of Jesus. That's the point of Scripture, to make us better followers of Jesus. So this message series is entitled Red Letters, and from now to Easter, we're simply going to be preaching from the words that Jesus said. Red Letters in Scripture. This morning, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11 Pay close attention to the words that Jesus speaks, and I'm really going to zero in in verse 4, but let's read all 11 verses, the story of Jesus' temptation. Listen. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted 
and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, red letters, No, the scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you're the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, okay, you get that? Now the devil's going to quote scripture. Isn't that interesting? For the scriptures say that he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, red letters, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took Jesus to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Stop right there. Isn't that interesting? These are the devils to give. It's interesting. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. Okay, red letters, verse 4, zero in with me. People do not live by bread alone, Jesus says, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. People do not live by bread alone. Well, let's just start off by saying the obvious, man. I love food. I love food. Is there anything better in life than food? Think about the last really good meal you had. For me, I have a lot of good meals. I eat pretty well. But uh, last, it's just an incredible meal was a little potluck that we did as a staff on a Tuesday uh, noon Right after staff meeting, uh, the Warren Association of Baptists has a new director of missions named John Mark Toby. And to welcome him and to get to know him, we invited him out to our staff meeting, and then we fed him lunch. Now, I am blessed to be on this staff for, for a, a, a 10,000 reasons. However, uh, probably one of the best reasons is the fact that every staff member we have cooks uh, in, in an amazing way. We, we all cook. It, it's great. So a potluck on our staff is, is huge. It's so much fun. We should do it every week. Um, Matt Betts, Matt Betts would make a good wife. Matt Betts <laughs> has a smoker, and, and Matt made a, a beef brisket. It's always our, our request now. I've never even eaten beef brisket until I met him. It must be something, a Mississippi thing. Uh, but, but he does it in the smoker, and, and I'm telling you, this meat was so good. It's it, it sliced thin, like, almost like bacon, and, and uh, it, it's smoky and salty and so moist, and oh, it is so good. The brisket was about this big, and we cleaned it up. We, we, we cleaned it up, that, and that's just the, the meat. Um, Warren Weeks brought Margie's macaroni and cheese. Have y'all had Margie Weeks macaroni and cheese? Always with at least two different kinds of cheese, and one of them must be sharp, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's Margie. I asked her her recipe. That's what she told me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Two kinds of cheese, one must be sharp. Oh, it is so good. Macaroni and cheese, a pan about this big. Uh, Tim Mazer, chairman of Deacons, he brought a, a big pot of country green beans and then country sweet corn. So good. So good. I brought salad. I'm lame. I brought salad. 
which nobody ate. Who wants salad? Uh, I brought salad. It was spinach leaves with mandarin oranges and candied pecans and balsamic vinegar. I mean, it wasn't a shabby salad. It was a pretty good salad, but who wants salad? Because uh, Lori brought hot, fresh rolls with butter. And uh, Nicole Buckman, our new children's minister, oh my goodness, Nicole brought dessert, two of them. She brought a lemonade cheesecake. <laughs> lemonade cheesecake. And a coconut chocolate chip pie. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. We ate, <laughs> we ate. Andrew brought a, a mushroom rice casserole. It was out of this world. I'm telling you, there's nothing like that meal. We ate and we ate, and two hours later, we were still eating. We just ate, not, not really. We ate, we ate so much. Have you ever eaten like that? And when it was over, I was so happy, but I was good for nothing, J just nothing. I, I, I could have slept. I promise you I didn't, but I could have. I, I just wanted to sleep or pop, uh, just so full. Is there anything, anything better than food? Apparently, according to Jesus, there is. Apparently, th th there is. This is a really interesting verse. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, where Jesus says, people do not live by bread alone. People do not live by, by physical food alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Some of you have known that verse. It's a very familiar verse. Jesus is actually quoting Scripture. Jesus is quoting Scripture. So this was a familiar verse to him. But, but it's a very fundamental principle of the spiritual life that people, men and women, that, that we don't live by physical food alone. There, there's something different about us. Now, a lot of us are farm people. We, we live around animals. We have a lot of animals. So you've probably observed animals that they're different. Now, I know in our day and age, there's a certain trend to sort of make us like the animals. We've evolved from the animals, and therefore, we're just another animal. But, 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 but that's not true. And what really makes us different is, is, is identified in this verse. We're not like animals that only need physical food. Now, my dog, Augie, is an amazing animal, a, a beautiful creature of God. She's just dumber than spit, but, but she is so sweet. And, uh, but all she needs is purina dog chow, and it just lights her up. It, it just lights her up. I, I put it in the bowl, and she eats it, and, and, and she's really, really happy with that. Actually, a little too happy. She's getting really round that this winter we're going to have to cut back on the dog chow. But the point is, an animal is able simply to, to eat physical food, and that's all they need. Because life for my dog, Aggie, amounts to eating and breathing. You understand? That's just life. And to keep her alive, she simply needs physical food. You and I aren't animals in that way. We are not kept alive simply by eating food, but by drinking water. As a matter of fact, if you take very literally what Jesus is saying here, that people do not live by bread alone, what this means is you can eat and breathe and still not live. You understand? You may be eating, and it's obvious that most of you are. You may be eating, and you're breathing. Pretty sure some of you are breathing. But you still may not live. 
This is what Jesus says. We don't live by simple bread alone. We're created for more. Life for us is not just eating, breathing. Life for us necessarily requires something else. People do not live by bread alone, Jesus says, but by what? Every word, every word that comes from the mouth of God. So somehow Jesus is saying here that God's word is necessary to life for us. God's word necessary to life. That sounds like something a preacher would say, doesn't it? Let's dig into this. Dig into this. Jesus is quoting scripture. So let's go back to the scripture that Jesus is quoting and figure out what he's trying to say. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. So turn back there. Turn back there with me. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. This is a story back at the time of the Exodus. The children of Israel have been delivered out of slavery, and now they're wandering in the wilderness, hungry. God does an amazing thing, but pay attention here to what the Scripture says about their hunger and what God is doing. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Moses asking the people to remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would say the word obey. To find out whether or not you would obey his commandments. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. What was the manna? Do you remember? It was literally bread that fell from heaven. God fed his people with bread that just literally fell from heaven. Amazing. He humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So Jesus is quoting this verse. When the devil tempts him by saying, coming to Jesus in a moment of his own hunger and saying, why don't you turn these stones to bread? Jesus replies, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's quoting scripture. So Jesus is connecting that moment in his life, that temptation. Jesus is connecting that to Deuteronomy. So what's the connection? If we're going to talk about something being more important in our life than food, and if that something is the Word of God, and if somehow the Word of God is, is food for my life, what does that mean? What exactly does that mean? Now, being good church people, most of you, when you hear that verse, that, that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, you correctly connect that with, with the Bible. The Bible is God's written word for us, and, and we're blessed to have God's word in written form. Not everybody always has, and not everybody does even today. We're blessed to have God's written word. And so you connect that, that somehow God's word in the Bible is essential to our lives. Something like food, food for our souls. But by the time you've thought that through, honestly, you don't really think the Bible's that important. 
I don't know you that well, but I can probably say that most of us really don't think that the Bible is as important to us as food. I mean, if we separate you from physical food for 30, 45 minutes, you're going to get crazy on us. I mean, the hunger, the desire kicks in, and we don't even want to be around you if you haven't had a little Debbie today. You, you understand? Some of us are just like that. Physical food is very important, and nothing is important as physical food. And when we begin to compare the Bible, God's Word, to physical food, this is an analogy that for you just sort of goes thin because nothing matters as much as physical food. I mean, seriously? We don't live by physical food, but by God's word, please. What's Jesus saying? I think one of the reasons that this becomes kind of a weak analogy for us is that we think of the Bible as simply a book to read. It's just a book to read, and if some of you are honest, and sometimes you are, you'll say, Brother Tim, I, just, I don't read anything. I don't like to read books. I, I don't read anything. I never have. I didn't like reading in school. And now I, I just, if I pick up a book and start to read, I, I go to sleep. I just don't read books. You see, this is your first problem. This is what's disconnected in your spiritual life. You still think that this is just another book. You think that this is just a book to read like your textbook in school you just think it's just another book to read, and you don't like to read, and you don't feel very smart. And so you can read and read, and after you've read, you don't really know what you read. You can't remember any of it. You've been in Sunday school for 35, 40 years, and, and still, if somebody asks you a question, a basic question, you can't answer it. You just don't remember anything you've ever read. And so it just feels pointless to you. You don't read, you don't like to read, you don't like books, and... Is this what Jesus is talking about? Is he saying that, that you just need to read the Bible, that you just need to have this sort of uh, familiarity with what the Bible says? Is this what Jesus means? Because if that's what he means, I, I'm not sure either. I, I'm not sure either. That doesn't sound like something ingredient to life. So understand, if you're thinking that the Bible is just another book to read. If you're thinking that the Bible is just food for thought, you've missed the point. When Jesus says we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, he is not saying that the Bible is food for thought. That you read the Bible and you memorize like Bible trivia. And, and, you, and you learn all of the details, and you get to where you really know what the Bible says. And, and you can quote verses left and right. And in Sunday school, you're the star pupil. That's not what Jesus says. It's not food for thought. You understand? It's fuel for action. I'll say that again. It's not food for thought. It's fuel for action. Fuel for action. It's not just to make us fat and happy as believers. It teaches us how to live. So Jesus goes back to Deuteronomy when the devil tempts him to satisfy his physical hunger. Jesus goes back to Deuteronomy and he says, man does not live. People don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. When you go back to Deuteronomy, do you remember what, what the, we just read it? Remember what, what that scripture is about? God used their hunger, he used their physical hunger so that he could provide miraculous bread for them so that he could teach them what? 
to obey. Understand? The issue is obedience. The issue is always obedience. God's word is not simply food for thought. It's fuel for action. The proper way to respond to God's word is not to get smart from it, but to become obedient to it. You understand? When we read God's word, we are allowing God to command our lives. We read this not for trivia to remember. We read this for an example to follow. We read this not for facts to master. We read this for commands to obey. Do you understand? It's always about obedience. God's word is about obedience. So when Jesus says man does not live by bread alone, what he's saying is hearing and obeying God's word is the most important thing in life. To obey God's word is more important than food. Are you with me? To obey God's word is more important than food. Let me show you from Jesus' own life. Turn back to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. More red letters. John chapter 4. This is the story where Jesus meets the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, while the disciples had gone into town to get something to eat. And when they come back, they realize that Jesus has just been talking to this woman and apparently doing something miraculous in the whole city of Samaria. So when they get, they get back, they become concerned that Jesus hasn't had lunch. They're worried about him not eating. Look at what he says. Just pick up in verse 31, John chapter 4. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, teacher, eat something. Eat something. Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked, did somebody bring him some White Castle? I mean, what, what, he's got a secret stash. I mean, this is what they're thinking. Then Jesus explained, my food, my food is to do the will of God who sent me and to finish his work. You with me? My food is to do the will of God and to finish the work of the one who sent me. My food is to do, is, is to do. Let's do another verse. Go to John chapter 7, verse 17. Again, Jesus speaking. John 7, 17. Notice the order of the verbs, if you're an English or grammar person. The order of the verbs here is what I want you to see. Jesus speaking, Jesus says, anyone who wants to, say the word, do, anyone who wants to do the will of God will know whether my teaching is from God or is merely my own. Isn't that interesting how when Jesus explains what it means to follow him, the verbs are do, first you do, then you know. First you do, then you know. You see, you and I tend to have that backwards. We think that we need to learn something first. That somehow being a follower of Jesus is, is learning a lot and knowing a lot of facts and becoming a smart sort of Bible student. But Jesus reverses those verbs. First you do, then you know. You're going to learn by doing God's will, but by following and obeying God's word. Are, are you with me? The food that Jesus is talking about, it's not food for thought. 
It's not just to read Bible verses and memorize them and roll them around in the old noodle there. Listen to me. God created you for a different purpose, for a higher purpose. And everything in your life depends upon knowing that purpose and fulfilling, being obedient to what God wants you to do. So when Jesus says, you don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, understand, it's the doing of God's word. It's not just the hearing, but the doing, the, the obedience. Now come back to Matthew chapter 4. We look at this temptation, and this is one of the temptations of Jesus when the devil met him in the wilderness. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the Son of God. Now stop right there. The devil knows he's the Son of God, and Jesus knows he's the Son of God. He's just been baptized just prior to this. And at the baptism, God the Father spoke, and the voice from heaven said, this is my Son, Understand. So it's not really a question. When the devil comes to tempt Jesus, he's not saying, if you're, if you're God's son, prove it. It doesn't have anything to prove. The devil knows who he is, and Jesus knows who he is. You with me? So when he says, uh, if you're the son of God, it's really, more, it's really more saying, since you are the son of God. Since you're the son of God, then, then, then do this. It's not a temptation to prove who he is. The temptation has to do with how will Jesus, how will Jesus use his power? How will Jesus somehow be the son of God in the world? Since you're the son of God, what are you going to do? You understand? So here's the temptation. Since you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. It makes perfect sense to me. Now, Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. This whole passage brings to mind that, that Exodus passage where the people of God had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, you understand? And they became hungry, and God fed them with bread in the wilderness. And so now Jesus, sort of representing God's people, he is in the wilderness now for 40 days. He's not eaten. He's very hungry. And so it connects him. It connects Jesus to the ancient people of God whom, whom God wanted to feed. It, it connects Jesus to all of us because we are human. And in this moment, Jesus is human. He is as hungry as any one of us would be had we not had food for 40 days. Understand? It connects him to us because this is where he's being human. He's experiencing hunger like we would experience hunger. But understand, hunger is an option for Jesus. It's an option for Jesus. Why? Because he is the son of God. It's an option for him. He does not have to be hungry. He doesn't have to be hungry for a single moment. He doesn't even have to be uncomfortable. He is the son of God. And so the fact that he is in the wilderness, the fact that he is so close to starvation, this is optional for him. This is a choice. It wouldn't be a choice for us. We are limited as human beings. Nothing we can do if we don't have access to food. But the devil just shows up and says, hey, Jesus, you're the son of God. Since you're the son of God, why don't you what? Turn stones to bread. 
You could turn stones into, into, into calzones. You could turn stones into pepperoni pizzas. You could turn the whole desert into a Taco Bell. If I was the son of God, that's what I would do. It's an option for Jesus. And so notice the temptation. You don't have to experience this. You don't have to be hungry. You don't have to be limited. You're the son of God. Since you are the son of God, take care of it. Turn the stones into bread. Since you're the son of God, why don't you go ahead and satisfy yourself. Feed yourself. That's the temptation. What's the temptation really? What's that about? The temptation to feed yourself, to satisfy yourself. That temptation, you don't have to be limited. You don't have to go through this. What's the temptation? The temptation is for Jesus to use his sonship, to use his identity, his power, his status as a son of God, to use that sonship in a way that is contradictory with the plan of the Father. Understand that? It's a temptation to come and feed himself by his power. But understand, he did not come to feed himself. He came to feed us. The reason that he is limited, the reason that he is hungry, is that he has chosen this. He has chosen to become like one of us so that he can take our place in death on the cross so that he can save us. He did not come to save himself. He did not come to satisfy himself. So the temptation here at its heart is not so much about eating a meal and feeling full. The temptation is about whether or not he's going to be obedient to his mission. Whether or not he's going to be obedient to the Father. Since you're the Son of God, the devil says, turn these stones into bread. Jesus says... Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What's he saying? I will be faithful. I will be faithful to the Father. I will be faithful to my mission. I will be faithful to God's purposes for me. I will be obedient. It's about obedience. Be ye doers of the word, the scripture says, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I, I really enjoy going to the church softball games. I really, really do. <clears throat> I'm not a big fan, honestly, of sports at all, but I like watching you all play. My wife <clears throat> is a great softball player, especially back in the day. So uh, back in the day, I would, go, I would just go watch. Now, our church almost always has a co-ed team, which in years past especially was typically a problem because we, we would usually have a hard time getting enough guys or enough girls or something. We'd always end up forfeiting. So <clears throat> there was a particular night when our team was actually in the playoffs, in the tournament, and this was a big, big game. And Casey was playing. I was not playing. I was just showing up to watch just to be a fan on the bleachers. But when I got there, Jack Wright was coaching that night. And Jack came over and said, Tim, and, and Jack's a really good friend of mine, and I would do anything I could for Jack. Jack came over and said, Tim, we are one man short. We are one man short. And, 
And, and if we have to forfeit, it means that, you know, this is the tournament. If we forfeit tonight, we're out and, and, and we just lose everything. Would you play? I said, Jack, you know me. I mean, I, I am, I'm, I'm horrible. I mean, I'm, it's like a Jerry Lewis movie. I mean, I'm really that, I'm just bad, really, really bad. And Jack said, Tim, I know that you don't like it, and, and, and I know that you're not very good, but, but I'll do my best to see that you don't, get, that you don't see any action. <laughs> we just need to have you. We just need to count you. I'll do my best to make sure you don't, you don't have to actually do anything ever. I said, okay, okay. So that was our deal. You can count me as like a dead body out there. But don't throw the ball at me, don't hand me a bat, don't ask, I mean, don't, 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 don't. <clears throat> well, the game rolls on. It's actually a pretty good game. Jimmy White was the umpire, and I managed to squeak through. Jack, you're amazing. I got through most of that night never having to do anything, which is my preference. I was fine. If, if, if all the sports would just let me sit there and do nothing, I'd play them all. <clears throat> I promise. But then... It was like the end of the game, and all of a sudden, things started to happen that I don't understand, but things started to happen, and everybody got really kind of nervous and crazy, and, and it turned out, it was, it was like the end of the game, seriously, and, and our team was up at bat, and we had two outs, and somehow, somehow, Jack said, you're going to have to bat. <laughs> there are two outs. I don't know a lot, but I know this is it. This is it. So I take a bat. And I walk up there, and Jimmy White's the umpire, and he's not making any eye contact with me. <laughs> so I'm just standing here, and, and I believe in a God of miracles. <laughs> so, so I take the bat, and I sort of stand there, and, uh, and they pitch, and I swing, and, and I, I, don't, I, I swung. And then, and then it pitches again, and I'm just thinking, Jesus, help me. Just, just help me. And, uh, and, and, I, and I connect. I hit, I hit the ball. Which is amazing, honestly. Hit the ball, and I start running as fast as I can because I'm a pretty good runner. But, but then I just hear Jimmy White say, Help! I mean, hit it right in somebody's glove. So I look back at Jimmy because Jimmy's my friend too. I mean, he's one of, I mean, he's one of my dearest friends. I look back at Jimmy. Jimmy won't look at me now. And then Jimmy says, That's a ball game. I just lost the game for the whole church. And now nobody will look at me. <laughs> nobody looks at me. Jack Wright, that rat fink, would not look at me. Wouldn't look at me. My wife, Casey, wouldn't look at me. I still go to church ball games. When I go to church ball games now, I wear flip-flops. <laughs> or dress shoes. I would wear Cinderella's glass slippers if I had to. I just want to be able to say, yeah, guys, I would love to play, but yeah, it's, it's the shoes. I have the wrong shoes. I want to make it perfectly clear. If I show up at the ball game, I am not there to play ball. I don't care if you don't have enough men. If you don't have enough men, that's your fault. It's the fault of the men who signed up to play. I never signed up to play for a reason. I have no intention, no intention of playing ball. Even if I'm at the ball field, I have no intention of playing. And this is how so many of us come before God's word. No 
intention. No intention of making anything in this book turn into action for my life. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is how many of us come to God's word. No intention of ever seeing any action with it. To use Kyle Eidelman's phrase, we, we, we want to be fans but not followers. But everything about God's word calls you to action. It calls you to follow Jesus. So when Jesus says that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, you understand that God's word isn't food for thought. It's not just something to learn and read and enjoy. It's not about enjoying it. It's about living it out. When you come to God's word, you come and you listen for a speaking voice. It's not like any other book. This is God's word. And Christ himself will meet you in the pages. He speaks here. And so you read and you listen for his voice. And understand, to read God's word, to hear it, is to be commanded. It's not to be entertained. It's not like reading Gone with the Wind. Do you understand what I'm saying? You read with every intention of springing into action. It's fuel for action, not food for thought. And what Jesus is trying to communicate here is that this truly is the most important thing in your life. The most important thing in, in your life. To hear and obey God's word. To know what he says, but beyond that, to do what he says. This is your purpose. This is your life. Do you understand? In other words, you can be eating and breathing and still not live. You do not live until you begin to live for Christ, to let Christ live in you. You are not alive until God's word brings you to life. Is understanding? You can't live without God's word. I'm not saying that it's all about reading it. It's all about doing it. And if you are not hearing and obeying God's word, you are as good as dead. You are as good as dead. Pray with me. We may not have carried our Bible to church today, Lord, but we got one. We have more than one. Many of our homes, Lord, are Bibles in all kinds of drawers. Lord, we, we've got Bibles. Sometimes we even read it. Lord, if, if, if we're feeling scared or lost or confused or worried or, or if we feel like we need you on a particular day, in a particular moment, we'll open the Bible and, and look for something. We'll look for food for thought. But God, this is, not, this is not what it means to live on the food of your word. 
Lord Jesus, I pray, I pray that all of us in this house, all in the sound of my voice, will develop a, a holy, desperate craving to do the Word of God. Oh God, teach us that it's not enough to sit in church and hear somebody else read it to us. Teach us that it's not enough to, to learn some verses that we can quote in a pinch, Lord. Teach us that your word means nothing until we let it command our lives. So Jesus, today we just offer ourselves before you so that you can command our lives. Instruct us. Teach us what needs to be changed, Lord, in our lives. Make us brutal, Lord, in obedience. Help us, Lord, to be immediate and quick to follow every word that comes from your mouth. Lord, we know what it is to depend upon physical food. We eat and we drink and we live sometimes to eat and drink. But Lord, I pray that you would help us truly to live, fully and completely to live by being obedient to every word that comes from your mouth. Speak to us, Lord, before we leave this house, before we get out from under this moment. Speak to us. Let us hear your voice. Help us to obey. Help us to obey. For Jesus' sake. Amen.